It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome, everyone, to another big edition of Reliving the War. We are really in the how do I put it? We're, we're suffering through the trenches at the moment because we're up to 1999 WCW. Thankfully, that part is over. But on the other side of it is 2000s WCW. So I don't know if um, if that's something to look forward to or or if, if Father Time has been any good to WCW in 24 years. But Simon, as we put a bow on you know 1999, because we still got Armageddon to come up. So it's it hasn't really been a great year in-ring product for uh, pay-per-views has it no and and regardless of the in-ring product even creatively these shows have just been an absolute mess without watching the tv shows in between it's hard to follow because on one show someone will be a face the next show they'll be a heel the show after that they're a face again everyone turns on each other everyone swerves each other just between the the wrestling not being great because they don't have the opportunities in these weird matches and then the storylines being a mess, it's hard to enjoy WCW in 1999. This was a tough year as a fan. Sure was, which is so weird because I guess 15-year-old Nims was very, very stoked to just have live free wrestling in <laughs> uh, on um, on Channel 9 on a Monday night because I, I look back at all these, oh, man, this paper was good. I remember this one being good. No. In hindsight, maybe it's because standards have changed, but either way, it was a bit of a battle. But let's get to Starcade 1999. We start off with Scott Hudson with the with the voiceover running through the card. Pretty interesting stipulations in some of these matches. You've got the Revolution versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan and some mystery partners, with the Revolution having to do janitorial duties of WCW for 30 days if Jim Duggan wins. If Duggan loses, he has to renounce the United States. <laughs> <laughs> Kurt Hennig's also back. DDP and David Flair have a crowbar on a pole match. It feels like this is what, in three months of Vince Russo, we've seen about 20 on a pole matches. Um, Jeff Jarrett's in a bunkhouse brawl. Dr. Death and Oklahoma in action against Vampiro with Vamp getting five minutes with Oklahoma if he wins. Evan Courageous takes on Medusa for the Cruiserweight title. There's a powerbomb wins match with Nash versus Sid and then Bret Hart versus Goldberg in a match that we all know the consequences for. But let's just say you you flicked on for free for, for 30 minutes of, of uh, you know, I don't know if they did it. I can't remember if they did it back in the day. I remember there was like a, a pre-show thing where you could kind of sort of watch like, oh yeah, and if you want to go past the 10 minutes, then you could choose to sign on in main event. If you saw that, would you think, yeah, this is a show I got to watch? I don't know. Some of the matches seem interesting, but the the over gimmick of them, I don't know if that's a selling point for anyone. Mm. Like, yeah, Hacksaw Jim Duggan with the janitor stuff. Did anyone think that was a good idea? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But we get another video package with Nash and Sid and Bretton Goldberg as sort of the featured main events for the um, for the pay-per-view. And we're here at Starcade. It is the last wrestling pay-per-view of the century, which is something that I find very hilarious because I really do miss the whole Y2K phenomenon. <laughs> something that'll never that we'd never live again through. Like, well, at least not in our lifetime, Simon. But um, back to a three-man booth. Did you notice that? Back to a three-man booth. They're giving Scott Hudson a shot here, even though uh, Tony and Bobby did really well on the last show. They were one of the only good things about it. Their com- commentary and chemistry as a two-man was really really good scott hudson is okay he's not bad he just feels like um everything is just sort of you know oh, i'm selling the show it just yeah it doesn't feel like there's much going yeah. on there aside from that 
Um, Scott Hudson's a weird one. As a kid, I really didn't like him. I didn't like his commentary. I thought he was really annoying. Then I saw like a, a shoot interview with him or something like that. And he actually came across great. Very entertaining guy. You know, really seemed, you know, pretty funny. Knew his stuff. It's just one of those weird things. Sometimes on TV, it doesn't translate for whatever reason. What was even weirder is how quickly he disappeared after the whole um, WCW buyout because he did that one raw main event that was WCW Mm -hmm. with Arn Anderson on commentary, then never to be heard of again. It was like he went to witness protection. Uh, Just so you know, I actually found his LinkedIn because I was wondering what happened to him as well. (laughs) It's pretty awesome because it does say Scott Hudson, color commentator at WCW. We're just going to pretend this is real or hope that it is. Um, But anyway, it says he's, uh, what's his current job? He is, I just want to get it right. Uh, He is the assistant professor of communications and assistant director of the Center for Latino Studies at the University (laughs) of Houston downtown. Hey, good for him. Yeah, it's not bad, is it? He, he was a big proponent of the filthy animals back in the day, so <laughs> I guess that, that, that. Hey, good for him. Good for him, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, let's get to the matches because uh, does, does it say, does he do anything wrestling related after after that one-off at Raw? He was in TNA just a little bit here and there. He did a couple of things in the early days. You know, like kind of everyone did the from WCW. early days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the pay-per-view days, the weekly pay-per-view mm. days. I, yeah, I will say ones. one Russo production change that I think is a good thing. Um, he opens this show like a WWE show. There is no stop down with the announcers for 10 minutes. We get pyro. We get music. We just get the voices of the commentators saying welcome. And then the first wrestler's music hits right away. You know, I've heard Vince Russo talk about this, that Vince McMahon always sort of, you know, had it in the rundown as Pyro and Ballyhoo. And that's sort of that, you know, the show starts with that and you just get straight into it. And I think it it works at a treat here too. It's yep. a shame that the first match is Disco Inferno and Lash LaRue <laughs> versus Tony Marinara with Johnny the Bull and Big Vito. So Disco's out first. And I just want to take a quick side note because there's a there's a recent narrative that, you know, especially by that's been peddled by Tony Khan and AEW supporters, that Disco was just some jobber back in the day and, you know, you look at this, Look, actually watch the stuff that he was in back then. He was over as hell. Like out of the, once the the second generation of Cruiserweight sort of came in, you know, and to be fair, he's up against guys like Lash LaRue and, you know, Lodi and guys like that. He stood out m- more, but he was one of the WCW's biggest stars. Like you can't deny that. No. And what's crazy, I don't know if you've ever heard that stat. I've heard Disco and Conan talk about it. I'm sure there has to be proof. But supposedly his segments through the Monday Night Wars were always like really highly rated. Like people would tune in to Nitro when he was on. And I almost believe that because if you see Disco on Nitro and then on Raw, and not to take anything away from, you know, WWE's lower or mid card, that's so many entertaining wrestlers. But I think you would pick a Disco segment or match over, say, you know, Al Snow or Gangrel. Scott or Taylor just, or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, just some throwaway yeah. match in 96 or 97. And honestly, we watched, we've seen all these pay-per-views. The crowd's always into Disco's matches, whether he's a face or a heel. And mm. in terms of his wrestling, if you want to look at it that way, you can't look at his matches and say he's not a good wrestler. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just a really fun narrative that's sort of been populated into truth uh, in 2023, 2024. But yeah, so Lash LaRue's out next. He's followed by Big Vito and Johnny the Bull with Tony Marinara. And they're dubbed by Scott Hudson as the Marinara Goon Squad. Now, the thing that I, <laughs> I remember, Scott Hudson used to do this a lot on Nitro. If he got like a catchphrase or a line in his head, he would absolutely hammer the crap out of it. (laughs) He's trying to make it a thing. And it didn't Uh, stick, though, because they eventually become the Mamelukes, don't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) He's like, what about the Marinara Goon Squad? squad? And they're like, no, no. What about that? No, no, it's not happening. (laughs) Uh, The best part about this is Tony Schiavone insinuates a commentary that Mean Gene was at a strip club with Disco and Lush. (laughs) That led to Big Daddy Marinara getting tarred and feathered. And then Lash LaRue got put in a body bag. Like, what the hell happened during I want to watch. I want to see that segment. That sounds better than the match. 
<laughs> also, before the match is starting or as it's getting underway, Hudson runs down the card a little bit and he said, this is the greatest arcade from top to bottom ever. He's clearly gone awesome. to the Shivani school of uh, hyperbole there. <laughs> yeah. Tony just gave him a thumbs up as he was saying that. Yeah, Tony's just like mm, the AOK <laughs> sign and then moved on. Uh, so, th- look, the wrestling here is nothing is nothing spectacular and nothing offensive. It's not a car crash of a match. No, it's pretty, pretty good, cool, honestly. There's some pretty cool, uh, good double team moves by the Marinara Goon Squad. They do <laughs> things like, uh, yeah, they, they do have good chemistry together. Yeah. Lash LaRue also has a nice reception as well. But, yeah, it's just taken away by... Scott Hudson continually saying Goon Squad. <laughs> and I did like that Tony Schiavone is... You can see that Tony's... I guess he's checked out of it here, isn't he? He, he is. He is. <laughs> he's letting he's letting Hudson do more of the like hard sell kind of parts because I don't think Tony could bring himself to do it anymore. And honestly, Bobby had kind of checked out on this show too. He's not his usual self either. Yeah, very much so. Um, there's a cool little sequence where Disco pulls out a frog splash for a pin attempt, but Big Vito breaks the pin with an elbow drop off the top. There's a uh, Disco attempts a chart buster on Big Vito, but he reverses it, sends Lash into Disco, who eats a chart buster because he doesn't know it's Lash. I know it's stupid, but I actually love bits of storytelling like that. I had the same thing about the finish. I said the finish is hilarious, but also very creative. Disco hmm fumbling and just grabbing who's ever behind him. He stuns Lash, Lash bounces back up. Vito gets him in the Impaler DDT. It's actually like cool sequence. One of those finishes yeah. um, that, you know, would be more the modern style where it's, you know, bang, bang, bang into a, a pin. It's pretty good. Honestly, the ending of this match compared to the endings of literally almost 99% of the other matches, the best ending on the, the show. Yeah, very much so. Um, So Marinara, there is a, Tony Marinara celebrates. We miss the beatdown, and Marinara and the Goon Squad put Disco in a body in a body bag. Bobby the Brain suggests that he's going to be drowned. Mm. No, no, no. They don't put him in the body bag right away. They ether him first. That's right. So they right, put yes. him to sleep, then put him in a body bag. You know, two gimmicks. But then and, to and make it is... sillier, they put him in the body bag, and the camera follows them up the aisle and backstage. But then when they get backstage, they take him out of the body bag and carry him into the trunk of a car. Mm. Why did then you drive put off. him in the body bag to take him out of the body bag? He was asleep. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, maybe it's just because I didn't want his arms around. It's just <laughs> like, you know, it's like when you tie up uh, like beds, bed poles and stuff like that. Yeah, so but then not, wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't you keep him in the bag when you put him in the boot? That's actually a good point. <laughs> 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 These guys aren't real mobsters at all. <laughs> yeah, the Marinara Goon Squad. There, you're no Goon Squad, damn it. Um, back at the announce table afterwards, and just a side nerdy editing note from me. But did you do you remember when? So that font that he's used for the um, for Starcade is hmm. Bank Gothic. Is it? Okay. And yeah. Now in the two thousand in ninety nine and two thousand, that is the font of the new millennium. <laughs> Because the Matrix used it. Oh, wow. <laughs> Who wants to be a millionaire used it? And now Starcade's using it as well. That is very but, uh, 1999. Who wants to be a millionaire and the Matrix? Exactly. So um, um, back at the announce table, they do a self for Breton, Goldberg and Nash sit in, the, in a powerbomb match. Scott Hall has been stripped of the US title and Chris Benoit is the champ. And Scott Hudson calls him last call Scott Hall. Some, another catchphrase that he's really trying to get over. And is also kind of in poor taste in hindsight now that you hmm. think about the uh, he, personal issues. He doesn't just say it as like a, a nickname. He even starts calling him that like, oh, Last call isn't here. Like, oh, where's call at? Like, and then he drives short yeah. in it. Like, that's not his name. Yeah. So Chris Benoit is out in his street clothes and his crappy new music. He cuts a promo saying he doesn't want to be handed the US title and he wants a fight and issues an open challenge. And this seems to be another, like, did no one, was open challenges a thing back in 1999? I guess so. Just everyone's yeah. doing them. And what about the catchphrase he tries getting over? He's like, like we always say, we sweat more in peacetime and bleed less during wartime. 
It's a bit too smart for a wrestling crowd, Chris. Like that's not Especially it. WCW. <laughs> <laughs> but he says he still wants a ladder match. So now we have to wait and find out who is going to replace Scott Hall in the ladder match. Mm. So next up is a cruiserweight title match. It's Medusa versus Evan Courageous. Medusa's out first, and this is a lover's tiff against Evan Courageous. Evan's out with Nitro Girl Spice, who I was a very big fan of back in the day. She was probably one of the breakout ones along with Kimberly, because the rest were just, they didn't, none of the rest wanted to be part of like gimmicks and storylines when Russo got there. It was just Spice that did. Oh, hold on. No, not to take away from Charmel, though. She eventually yes, became yeah, Paisley true. and then Queen yep. Charmel, but she didn't, she was later. She didn't have a real chance to do more, I guess. And obviously you had, um, I can't remember what Stacey Keebler was when she was a Nitro girl briefly, but then she was Miss Hancock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, we'll get to that part uh, later on. But um, so Evan Courageous is out with Nitro girl Spice. Medusa gets the fight started pretty quick smart. And Tony Schiavone, in one of the most bizarre bits of commentary that I think he's ever done, questions if Evan Courageous was ever in love with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. What is there to say about this? It's, it's nothing. I don't know what you so can say. Evan like... Courageous was Medusa's boyfriend. We saw that in the previous show. Now mm-hmm. Evan Courageous is with Spice, and they fight for a couple of minutes. Uh, things get a bit sloppy. There's like a weird power bomb and a bridge where they both almost break their necks. Yep. Get a boring chant. Spices on the apron as well. Boring to be fair. It's only three minutes. It doesn't really give you a chance to be bored. And they're they're trying to do stuff. But anyway, Spice gets on the apron. She then distracts Evan Courageous because of course she's going to turn on him. And then she gives him the worst punch to the dick ever. It looks like it doesn't even land. And then like in another postcode. It is, yeah. And then Medusa scrambles. She's like thinking, oh my God, even she knew it didn't look good. So then she tries going for, you know, the classic low bow from behind. But Evan Courageous's legs are closed, so she can't get him in in the bag. So she ends up just punching him in the ass. Yeah, and and then does a German suplex, and that's it. (laughs) So with a, a, a faint punch to the balls, and a punch to the butt and then a German suplex and it's all over for Evan Courageous. Of course, this ends in a swerve. And I guess Medusa and Spice are now WCW's China and Miss Kitty. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, oh, look, we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, you got to feel for Evan Courageous because it's when, when the highlight of your career is being in three count and being the overlooked, the guy that no one remembers from three count, um, that basically sums it all up. But Mean Jeans then backstage with Norman Smiley, who says he's definitely not scared of Meng, but he is scared of one of the producers, and apparently he soiled himself too. Mm, yep, that's what will happen. That's that's a thing that's happened that here. Um, which we lead up to Meng versus Norman Smiley for the hardcore title. Meng is out first, and Norman Smiley is out next with a bunch of plunder, as Bobby the Brain Heaton would say. Meng gets things started early. Ram Smiley with the cart full of rubbish at the entranceway. The match heads backstage. And hardcore matches like this for all the rage back in 1999. But the thing is, you'll notice the WWE kind of has drifted away from that already. Like at the start of the year, huge amount of these matches before they kind of figured like, hmm, we are going to need to focus it a bit more on in-ring. Hmm. Somehow, WCW's hardcore matches just were complete backstage affairs they were backstage assaults that's why they made the game that's all these matches were (laughs) Uh, not good yeah so so they fight they fight in catering um fit finley appears he attacks men men brian knobs comes out who's got a bit of a a haircut as well knobs (laughs) and but here's the thing too so knobs and finley are now a team yeah because they both are blonde i guess Smiley's nowhere to be seen. He's he's actually hiding under the table and checks that Meng's out of action because he was taken out by Fit Finley and uh, Brian Nobbs. Mm-hmm. Gets a shifty ping, a uh, shifty pin on Meng, then gets the win. Meng finally gives him the then Meng gives the Tongan death grip on Nick Patrick, and that's about it. And we cut away, and it's over. So just so we're starting to count, so we had a swerve in the last match. We had an interference in this match. 
this trend will continue. And again, the last two matches were three min- minutes and four minutes. So yep. 13 matches on this three-hour show. Oh, in there. Uh, David Flair's, uh, he's still portraying that sort of madman gimmick and he's got a brand new Halloween Havoc fresh t-shirt that he's wearing on and he's got a delivery that's a shiny gold crowbar mm-hmm. dr death steve williams is then backstage with oklahoma they and he heads out the door but he's accosted quite awkwardly by the misfits and and when i say the misfits i mean the actual misfits the band like jerry the only misfits. and the misfits <laughs> Uh, we cross back to the announcers and get a preview of the revolution versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. The revolution went from anti-Americans to a sovereign nation pretty damn quick. You know, I don't remember this about the revolution. I thought the whole point of the revolution was that they were um, uh, sort of like, oh, we want to be real wrestlers and we don't trust WCW. I didn't know it had anything to do with the country or like, a revolution mm. in that they're these, you know, um, soldiers and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Terrible. I blanked that part of it out of my gimmick. Just because they were was... all these, like, in-ring technician kind of guys. I thought that was their gimmick. I don't know. There was a part in the... Uh, what was it? There was a part on an episode of Nitro once where they were in a flag match with Chris Benoit and they threatened to set fire to the flags, both flags. Oh, okay. and, I, and the only time I could remember, no, but both the Canadian and the American flags, which obviously... They don't like <laughs> anyone. Really. Yeah, but the stupid thing was, like, they actually had barrels out where they dipped them in, like, gasoline, and they're going to... It's like, it's like, who is writing this, and what has this got to do with wrestling? Well, we, we know who was writing this. Well, yeah. yeah that's uh, let's face it, why even waste time on this? Because the revolution, for the most part, are going to be gone in a month. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, this barely lasts. Yeah, so Mike Tanay is with Jim Duggan. He's there to defend America with his three mystery partners. The revolution's out, and they'll, he promises they'll give Hacks or Jim Duggan a revolutionary beating. Duggan's still in his janitor gear, and he grabs a mite, starts a USA champ before introducing his tag team partners. In 1999, the Varsity Club are back. That's it. IRS, Kevin Sullivan, and Rick Steiner, and a cheerleader whose name I have no recollection of. I had to look How? it up. Leia Meow was her name okay. in WCW. But she came from ECW where the classic uh, Paul Heyman uh, play on words Electra? name. No, Kimona Wanalea. Oh, my God. Oh, my yeah. God. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so, like, how Malenko and Saturn have fallen down the pecking order, eh? Mm-hmm. So... The commentators run through the collegiate history of the how the varsity of the varsity club that it, it, it's it's something that would make JR just beam with pride the way they're talking about their collegiate uh, sort of resume. But my oh my, is this an awful match? Terrible because the thing is, so the varsity club come out for this match to be uh, Jim Duggan's partners. They were always heels in the eighties, so the crowd doesn't really know how to take it. And these aren't guys that you would want to cheer anyway. Mm. It's Mike Rotunda, Kevin Sullivan, and Rick Steiner. They're usually heels at this point, and Rick Steiner, Rick Steiner whatever. who's fresh a heel still as well, and that Currently awful, a heel. Yeah, that exactly. awful singles run of 99. So no one's getting cheered here. They come out to basically no reaction. Uh, they rest again. This match, again, goes for four minutes, so who cares? There's nothing to really say. Uh, except that Jim Duggan is like triple the size of Dean Malenko, which just looks <laughs> hilarious. And Kevin Sullivan is quite short. So he just beats up Asia, who is pretty much the same size as him. It's just everything <laughs> is off size wise. Um, and, and then Kevin Sullivan doesn't wear knee pads. So he looks really weird. <laughs> he looks weird because he's wearing the hoodie, the athletic hoodie, and no knee yeah. pads. <laughs> Odd just... looking. Um, yeah. But anyway, and then. For no reason, out of nowhere, they just turn on Hacksaw uh, and then it's over. And the crowd barely reacts to the swerve because they weren't really cheering the Varsity Club anyway. Mm. And after the match, Shane Douglas then drapes Jim Duggan in the flag of the revolution. And it gets better because next it's me and Gene with Jerry only. And the Misfits have put Oklahoma in a shark cage because that leads us to our next match. Vampiro versus... I didn't write who he's up against. Uh, Dr. Death, Steve Williams. So Vampiro's <laughs> out first. 
The Misfits drag out the shark cage with Oklahoma in there, who is mic'd up. Heaven help us all. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma. The- and for those who don't know, Oklahoma is um, basically... Ed a- Ferrara. Ed Ferrara, so former writer of WWE, along with Vince Russo for a time. He would do an impression of JR. So when he went to WCW with Russo, they thought, why don't we turn that into a gimmick? And yeah, it's terrible. It's poor taste. It's awful. And it's just not good to anyone. It's literally only popping two people at max, Mm. Ed Ferrara and Vince Russo. And all I could think of was what did poor Vampiro do to be linked to this idiot? (laughs) Um, Tony Schiavone did... I did have a couple of snide lines in there, like uh, asking Oklahoma if he could go through his college football history. Mm-hmm. And and Oklahoma also starts commentary and they have a shot at WWE production with Tony Schiavone saying that he's talking in sound bites. Mm. Yeah, which is the sort of the cliche that, you know, you would hear WWE announcers say that they were told, you know, to talk in sound bites. But again, isn't that better than doing whatever Tony and Bobby do sometimes where they just bicker for 20 minutes and derail yep. the show. In fact, in fact, if anything, in the intro of our actual show, of the Reliving the War show, it was so hard to find a WCW grab because they don't talk in sound bites. Like that. It, there's no iconic WCW commentary because there isn't. It's mm. just that simple. Um, yeah. Well, it's it's this is this match is atrocious. The commentary is atrocious. It's incredibly unwatchable. The misfits come into the ring, but Doctor Death clears them pretty quickly as Oklahoma continues the shitty commentary. Doctor Death takes out Charles Robinson because of that. He's disqualified. Oklahoma uses his, loses his absolute mind, and security, including Doug Dillinger, escort Doctor Death Steve Williams out as he starts shaking barricades in Ultimate Warrior style. This is a this also is a mega stop down, like. Yeah, it, the it just grinds to a halt because they're trying to get Oklahoma out of the cage. They're trying to get Doctor Death backstage, and they're waiting for Vampiro to get back to his feet. This bit in between the matches is longer than both matches because, yeah, mm. the stipulation was that if Vampiro wins, he gets five minutes alone with Oklahoma. This takes so long and drags on, but. I just want to say the psychology of this match was completely off too. I'm not a wrestling genius or expert. It shouldn't Mm. take a genius to work out who the hell are you meant to like in this match? Because if you're watching it, Dr. Death is not cheating at any point in the match. He's the bad guy. The misfits are the good guys. At one point, they all interfere in the match. Unprovoked, Dr. Death doesn't cheat for them to do it as retaliation. They run into the ring. And the commentators rightfully point out that should be a disqualification. He then has to throw them away, blah, 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 and like fight them off on his own. And then parts of the crowd do start cheering him because he does look like the the good guy. The, the, at the that hero, point yeah. Because he's fighting off these five gothic guys trying to beat him up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, but then, yeah. And then the match ends with him kind of... Um, like getting DQ'd because he pushes the ref. So then you're like, oh, I guess we're meant to not like him because he pushed the ref. The whole thing is stupid. And if the excuse is, oh, there's no good guys and bad guys, there's just shades of gray, that's stupid too. Because then you end up with a crowd who doesn't cheer anyone. It's awful. It's just you know, awful. shades think- of gray within those sort of roles. Like Steve Austin was a good guy. He was always against bad guys and maybe he would bend the rules if they would do him dirty blah 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 but this is just stupid it really is and in hindsight oklahoma is just a crappy character there was absolutely zero upside and it it ruined everything there was not a single highlight of an oklahoma segment ever but uh and then you would think again just going on the idea of what you would normally do and you don't do the opposite just for the sake of it to like break Mm. the trope or whatever so vampiro is the good guy he's been beaten down he's finally going to get revenge on oklahoma oklahoma is not a wrestler he's some just some small short guy who was a tv writer he kicks the crap out of Vampiro. A Vampiro, yeah. He hits moves. He hits a jumping DDT. He ducks a Vampiro kick. They've told us Vampiro is a martial artist. And mm. goddamn Oklahoma ducks one and then low blows him before the Misfits have to interfere so Vampiro gets the upper hand 
to finally win. This was so stupid. It was an awful, awful match. But uh, anyway, we'll move on to the <laughs> next one. Now, you know, we try to be pretty uh, pretty positive in our in the way that we look at our wrestling. But when people talk about 99 WCW and 2000 WCW being the absolute pits, this is a stark reminder that it really, really was. Um, so backstage, we get Kurt Hennig with creative control and Shane and LaParka just standing on a chair randomly in the background as they chat to the powers that be. Russo is very distracted because something big is happening tonight, bro. Mm-hmm. Um, oh boy. Hmm. I was trying to work out what that was going to be. And then, yeah, disappointed as always when I think what he was teasing happens at the end of the show. So yeah. just for anyone who doesn't know, the uh, creative control, um, Shane is the form of Vincent, the form of Virgil. So his name is Shane now, which is meant to be a piss take on Shane McMahon somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, creative control is also Gerald and Pattis and Gerald and... And Pat. Patrick? Yeah, yeah Gerald Pat and Patrick. Pat. You're right. They call him yeah. Patrick. So Gerald and Patrick, the Harris twins, uh, you know, eight ball and skull. They're now a piss take on the Stooges. Again, I don't mm-hmm. know how this is meant to bend anyone or be clever in any way. Like, I don't um, know, whatever the, you know, the Huckster and the Nacho Man or whatever. Like, none of that was good either with the... um with the uh, old WWF making fun of WCW, but this is even worse because at least they had some sort of parody. Yeah. This is just like, you know, like you have to, you have to cut so deep to get these jokes, mm. but uh, Hey, look um, next up, it is Mike Tanay suggesting that there's friction between Harlem heat, which Booker T tries to squash. Stevie Ray is all like things were great until midnight came on the scene and says, he's not going to have Booker's back. Ooh. Yeah, the the only just reunited Harlem Heat are already having friction again. Crazy, absolutely crazy stuff. But um, creative control with Kurt Hennig and Shane take on Harlem Heat. Booker T is out by himself. The lights go out and Midnight appears in the ring. There's mm-hmm. no Stevie Ray at all. That's right. She gets the Undertaker entrance. <laughs> she does. <laughs> um, one of the Harris brothers starts off. And there's really nothing of note here because even the commentators don't know who creative control is. Yeah. At one point, um, they're like, does anyone know who Gerald or Patrick is? And Bobby just says, oh, the bald one, which, which is pretty funny. Um, what else can you say? I've got to say the opening couple of minutes were the best thing. Booker T is in there with one of the twins and it is legitimately like Booker T is wrestling a broomstick. He wrestles mm. around this guy. Like, he makes him take an arm drag. He makes him get into position for all of his kicks. Booker T is just working hard. He's like looking at the crowd, getting him hyped up after every move. Booker T is putting in the work as always. Again, Booker T, every match we see of him from the good stuff to the bad stuff, he's putting in the most effort like, oh, whatever, yep. I'll, I'll try and make this work, whether it's a serious match for a title, a tag title, a stupid match like this, Booker T will be like, all right, let's 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 do it. When you see how Booker T and by extension, Diamond Dallas Page were the two sort of like, <laughs> even even during the the absolute pits of 2099 WCW, those were the guys that really were like, no, 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 let's give this a red hot crack. You can almost see why, it almost self-explains itself why these were the two guys that decided to have their contracts like null and void by Turner so they could then join the WWE in 2001. They took the risk, you know, for DDP, he went along with what they said, tried making it work. It wasn't great. Booker T, he he said, all right, cool, I'll do this. And it did work. So whatever, yeah. at least they both tried. They're both, you know, Hall of Famers and whatnot. Good for them. And that's to be admired. They could have easily have said, no, nah, I'm going to sit out for a few years and just get paid. But yeah. And and also in in fairness to it, it kind of did pay off for him in the long run, in the very very long run. And you know Booker got to be a world champion again uh, with that huge King Booker range. And even DDP had a WrestleMania moment as such. Like he won the European title at eighteen. At eighteen against Christian, but yeah, come on, really, 
DDP should have been wrestling he should Kurt have been, Angle yeah. or The Rock or something. Yeah. yeah, DDP should not have been feuding mid with for mid card yeah. titles as positively paid. Yeah, yeah. But again, <laughs> he became sort of a personality anyway. You know, started DDP Yoga and and killed it anyway. Stayed part of the WWE world at least. So yeah, yeah. one of those guys, um, just sort of a job for life kind of thing. He's always gonna be in, in the video games and toys and blah blah blah. He also had a really good second act in TNA in 05, where he was still yeah, good. The and the DDP it... comeback is actually really underrated. It's a shame yeah. that DDP happened in TNA and not TNA, TNA. yeah. Was, he was good still. He had some good matches. And do you know the story behind that? The only reason he went to TNA at that time was to like sort of prove to himself, I wonder if I could still do it. He, he did. That's why it was only like a two-year run, because it was yeah. just like, cool, I, I was able to do it. Time to, to hit the bricks. Like, it's, he didn't overstay his welcome. It was just, all right, cool. Thank you. Thanks for letting me do it, Jeff. It's See weird, you, weird, too. That's 2005. At the time, everyone would have thought, oh, DDP's too old for, like, a big run in the WWE. If that was now and he was that same age as 2005, no one would bat an eyelid, which is just a weird not. thing. But, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's if, all, if... all that being said. <laughs> Nothing happens in this match. Henning cheats and hits Booker T with a taped up foreign object of some description that we never know what it is. The camera misses the three count yep. and Booker T loses anyway. Yeah, because the camera's focusing on Stevie Ray and Midnight arguing on the outside. Stevie Ray walks out. The mere fact that we can have a better conversation about what DDP is doing in <laughs> 2005 than what's actually happening in the ring in 1999 should let you know just how good this match is. So far, I've got to say, this is the uh, second longest match on the show. Seven whole <laughs> minutes for a six-person tag. It's so bad. Uh, we get a vignette sets up the Dustin Rhodes... Jeff Jarrett rivalry. It is also insane that 25 years later, these guys are still active wrestlers. Mm -hmm. This is the it's only crazy. match that could happen right now because they're both in the same promotion. Really, really crazy. Really? Oh, yeah. You can, that's, I'd never thought of that. Yeah. I, I will awesome. say th this video promo, so it sets up Jeff Jarrett and Dustin Rhodes and their feud. So we see the debut of Seven, which was this creepy kind of Undertaker child stalker gimmick yeah dustin rhodes had been teasing for a while but on his debut he rips it off and he says i'm not playing a dumb gimmick again you know you've done this to me before sort of talking about vince russo and alluding and gold to dust, that. Yeah. he was gold dust and he says you know i'm dustin rhodes and i'm not going to take this crap and i'm going to like fight the powers that be it's kind of, it's a cool character it's a little bit too clever maybe people would be like Who's making you be a character? You can be whoever you want. Like that's kind of breaks kayfabe if one mm. guy is saying I'm forced to do this and everyone else is just what they are. But anyway, is, aside from that, yeah. because Which Jeff is funny, though, is the chosen yeah. one, it, it kind of puts him in a good spot. But yeah, it's stupid. It's kind of funny though, because like despite him playing all this character, like the character that he is now, Dustin Rhodes, he's like, has that weird face paint and whatever the hell it is, but it's just like, okay, so this is what you wanted to be, right, Dustin? There you yeah, go, yeah. mate. Yeah, he then embraced the the face paint and the yeah. that kind of part of it. Um, but we then get, so we get that video. It's not bad. We then get Dustin backstage. So this is a bunkhouse match, you yep. know, and they say, uh, um, you know, Dustin. It's the one that his daddy, yeah, that. his daddy invented it. <laughs> Double J says, you know, your fat daddy invented it. And Dustin <laughs> in one of the promos says at Starcade, I'll be your fat daddy, which is kind of funny, <laughs> which is kind of awesome. And then also, though, in his backstage promo where the match starts, because, you know, it's like you, they can brawl anywhere, he says, you know, Jeff, I'm going to make you bite the dust. Was that going to be a catchphrase? Mm. I think mm. he was trying to make that a thing. Like, you'll I, bite the dust. You'll bite the Dustin. dust, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, now, uh, it's yeah, just clicking me there. It's really? Not, it's That's not, awful. It it's awful. awful. <laughs> you know, like another one bites the dust and he is dust. So I, I'd like to think that, you know, he, he he was on Nitro trying to make that work. And like he says it to crickets and then like two seconds later, a delayed, Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what it, it was one of those. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Jeff Jarrett sneak attacks, and they both brawl in the bunkhouse brawl and head to the entranceway. Double J takes out Dustin with a wheelbarrow, but I want to point out 
you sort of summed it up pretty good when you were talking about the um, the vignette that set up everything. But Scott Hudson had a line of commentary. And I had to go back and because I wanted to quote it. Dustin Rhodes has heat with the powers that be because they want him to be the seven gimmick. Yeah, see, it's That's... just too clever and meta. It doesn't make sense. No, no. And then even Shivani starts saying, yeah, even Shivani like, starts sort of in saying, this world, yeah. Even Shivani starts saying, oh, Dustin just wants Jeff Jarrett's push. It's like, what? Yeah, how you're can a push? It? It? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, because then later on you're just like, well, so Dustin Rhodes is a gimmick, but Goldberg—that's an actual dude. It's Goldberg, like you know what I mean? Like when yeah. you start talking about like, oh, he's playing a gimmick, and like DDP's whole thing—he's like, oh, Diamond Dallas Page. What he's what's his actual real name? Like Page Falkenberg, Page Falkenberg or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is David Flair a gimmick then? Yeah. Don't bring that sort of crap into it. But anyway, that leads us to... It's actually a pretty good match. I, I quite enjoy this. And to be honest, you'd expect at least a passable match from Dustin and Jeff Jarrett. Both of them grew up in the industry. They know what to do. See, look, the action was fine. I'll be honest. I expected too much from it. So it kind of mm-hmm. let me down. I don't know why I had any expectation. <laughs> and, and that's not because of the talent. These guys are both great. But it's the limitations that are... You exactly, know, yeah crappy story and so at one point kurt hennig interferes didn't kurt hennig have to retire at mayhem yes literally a month ago a month ago anyway (laughs) it's wrestling everyone unretires but the part that got me is that it's a bunkhouse brawl there are no rules at one point dustin duct tapes the referee because he doesn't Mm -hmm. want the referee to stop anything but there's no dq why did he duct tape the ref i didn't understand so he duct tapes him to the corner and this is also after he started whipping him as well. Yeah, yeah, he whips him, duct tapes <laughs> him, and then Kurt Hennig comes out and just like in after two he minutes. He frees the referee, yeah, and him. then so so Dustin sets up Jarrett for the Shattered Dreams and he goes for the pin. Hennig stops the count, but he gets the Shattered Dreams of his own. Um, Dustin and Jarrett make their way to the entrance. Rhodes considers climbing the stage, but then sort of goes, no, you yeah, don't want to <laughs> One step, it's so funny. And then he's like, this isn't worth it. I'll just kick him. Yeah. Um, Hennig gets involved again and in the hullabaloo gives Jarrett a huge guitar shot and he gives him to the head. Dustin gets off the ladder and gets the win. Can it's... I just say, they go to this part of the stage where the ladder is with a guitar on top of it i guess the guitar was somewhere mm. how convenient why was there a ladder and a guitar there and the fact that they happened to brawl there like jeff jarrett was like oh i'll lure him here he could have put the guitar anywhere he could have put the guitar in the ring it would have been easier it would have been yeah yeah so anyway, you've got these so, three huh. second generation wrestlers though you've got you know dustin rhodes jeff jarrett kurt hennig surely these guys are all thinking this is not good yeah when you think and Look at their their pedigree as well. It's just like for all of them are former intercontinental champs as well. Yeah. All of them had significant runs, not just in WWE, but also in WCW. Oh, actually, no. Uh, ignore that about Mr. Perfect. But, you know, they've been well, in high-profile matches. he was in the matches. AWA before WWE. He was the AWA yeah. champion and blah, blah, blah. And all of these guys have done lots to know that this isn't good. This is not good, yeah. Even Kurt Hennig in the dying days of the AWA probably was thinking like, oh, yeah, he's probably seen the writing on the wall right now. He's yeah, just like, yeah, he knows. Mm. He's, he's calling before. Connecticut every two yeah. minutes. Just like, hey, what do you got for me next year? I'll come back in a rumble. Yep, I can wait. Don't yeah. worry. <laughs> um, so David Flair is then backstage with the gold crowbar. He beats up some stuffed animals. We throw to the video package of his shoot with DDP for the crowbar on a pole match. Mean Jeans with DDP, who talks smack for a bit before making his entrance. And this is the third straight on a pole match in WCW uh, since Vince Russo took over. It's crazy. Is it three pole matches on pay-per-view in a row? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, I can't remember what last oh, one's was. So, ha- on a ha- pole. Halloween Havoc. I gotta, I'm going to look this up now. Can just I just now, say, now. though, this is another mm. match where in the feud, DDP was the bad guy. Him and Kimberly were kind of the bad guys and they drove David Flair to become crazy. Now yeah. D- now DDP is kind of the good guy because David Flair is too crazy. I didn't understand this. So again, we haven't liked DDP for a while. He's been a bad guy. But at the start of the match, David Flair jumps in with a crowbar 
and they're mm -hmm. about to say that you know ddp is gonna forfeit because he's um injured and he's like no don't stop it i'm gonna wrestle which is a very heroic face thing to do so now the crowd is on ddp side just again what's going on you can't just do this for characters who you shouldn't do it for like there are heels and faces for a reason this doesn't make sense and not only that but it's actually like ddp was actually quite a dastardly heel that drove him to that yeah. madness too because it's like yeah. you know like he this is this is like a, a an offset of the feud with flair like his dad that's what it was yeah yeah i don't so... understand and then again what can we even say about this match? It goes for three and a half minutes. Yeah. Nothing happens. DDP eventually gets up from a figure four, hits an RKO, uh, <laughs> a diamond cutter. <laughs> diamond cutter, yeah. And gets the win, yeah. Gets the win and then puts David Flair on the top rope and hits him with a top rope diamond cutter, which looks cool. Um, but again, because you're beating the guy up kind of for no reason after the match, the crowd actually kind of boos it. The reaction then changes. Yeah. And then he's going to, he gets the crowbar and he's going to hit David Daphne's Flair out. with it. But then Daphne runs out and slides under his legs to save David. And then DDP shows mercy and he's like, I don't know what's going on and walks off. Not only that, but they refer to Daphne as a winner of a Nitro party, which is what they used to do back in the day. Like they'd have colleges, like they'd get, get you like sending, like, you know, are you having a Nitro party? We'll send a camera around or something. So yeah. she is that how she started off her gimmick? Because I As couldn't quite remember. Yeah, super fan, like a stalker of David Flair. So he was crazy, but then she was crazy. And then eventually we get Crowbar, the person, Devin Storm. He is crazy too, and he sort of joins that world. Which I, I remember being okay. Like Daphne and Crowbar were pretty good. Um but Yeah, they were they were one of the um they were one of the the few upsides of the russo era because russo actually did some good like you know gave like mid card like he actually did yeah. something, like crowbar and daphne um sugar shane helms yeah we're in the middle another... period exactly i would say a little bit later things at least get interesting because yeah we get shane helms crowbar you know the natural born thrillers we at least get some variety with some new new talent new blood of course new blood if you will yeah uh, and they did try to push Kidman a bit more as well. Mm. But um, uh, next up, it, back at the commentary table, they praise David Flair and throw to the video package for a very convoluted Sting versus Lex Luger feud that Miss Elizabeth is also wrapped up in as well. You want to talk about, you know, like Hennig and and Jarrett and, um, and Dustin being like, you know, like, geez, what have we fallen into? What about Miss Elizabeth? <laughs> like, she... Miss Elizabeth is just, you know, just stuck in the middle of this garbage. We can't really say the same for Lex and Sting because, unfortunately, they're two guys who have been part of some absolute garbage before and mm. after this. They just seem to go along with whatever. They're kind of like, I don't think they care enough to to push back on any bad creative, which, you know, good for them. Yeah. They seem to at just this point in time, it. At this point in time, they probably just look at their bank account and go like, check still cleared. Cool. Don't really yeah. care. What do you want me to do? Cool. Find a graveyard? Happy to <laughs> exactly. Do Am I rich? Can I go work out in the gym that I own? I couldn't care less about any of this, which I also credit them. Good for them. Yeah. They don't get caught up in the crap. They just went along with it. Um, um, yeah. So it's it's the total package versus Sting. And during his entrance, the total package is referred to as Lex Luger by both Tony and Bobby. They've given up on saying package. It's so stupid. Calling Lex Luger. <laughs> so... Before Sting makes his entrance, Sting makes Elizabeth put aside her can of mace and swaps it over to another one. The really good mace. A big can. Added. It's twice the size. It's like, you know how you, there's the small can of V and the giant can of V? He gives her <laughs> yes. one of those. Um, so Sting gets jumped by Luger before he even has a chance to take off his trench coat. Um, I, because I'm watching a, a pay-per-view rip, he's still got Metallica uh, oh, Seek and Destroy as his, um, as his theme song. Uh, Liz is on the apron. She slaps Luger and turns the tables to get Sting back into it. Liz gets the big bottle of mace and gets in the ring, chats to the package. She goes to spray Sting in the face with the mace, but oh guess my what? God, it's, she silly turned on it. it's silly oh. string. It's silly string. 
So, but for the first time in his career, this is the first time Sting has outsmarted anyone. <laughs> I was about to say, which I thought was kind of clever. I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. Sting gets turned on so often. He's finally mm. learned. He knew it was going to be a swerve. So he swapped the can of mace, which he knew Liz would use on him. He swapped it to Silly String. And you're like, yeah, go Sting. It's just some dumb sports entertainment type bullshit. Sting's going to make a quick comeback and win. He make, you know, he hulks up, starts no-selling hits Luger with a massive splash. Uh, and then he's about to do the death lock and Liz walks in with the baseball bat. But again, Sting's too smart now. He turns around and he's like, don't hit me. I can see you. So she's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, I won't hit you. And then he turns to lock in the death lock. And as he turns his back halfway, she <laughs> smacks him right in the face with the baseball bat. And, and this is stiff. This is yeah. a stiff shot. It, it would have been one of those rubber bats, I hope. Um, otherwise, oh, yeah. otherwise, yeah, if it wasn't, dead. <laughs> um, but anyway, and then Sting is knocked out. Liz still outsmarted him. Well, she didn't really outsmart him. She just hit him in the face when he turned around. Mm. Uh, and then her and Lex beat up Sting. They pilmanize his hand, so they put his hand in the chair and hand in the chair, on and then yeah. Uh, and there it's you crazy. go, another swerve ending. I will say this. Kudos to Scott Hudson for constantly referring to Lex Luger as the total package. He was committed to the bit. <laughs> he was. Maybe it was something he came up with, just like the goon squad. And yeah. that was the only one he got over the line. Yeah, so security and a bunch of dudes in Nitro Polos carry Sting out. And then we get to our next match, which is Sid versus Nash in a first to powerbomb match. Uh, Sid is out first, and it's great to see, even in 1999, he still got the really aggressive fist pumps to the crowd. Mm. Who's the man? And then he'll, like, punch your hand. Um, we, we did get the video package for this feud, though, which had the infamous promo from Sid where he says, I'm you're half, half the, the man yeah. I am, and you and I have half the brain you have. And Hall and Nash just <laughs> rip into him. And we also see Nash dressed up as Sid, with like a mm-hmm. giant prosthetic chin on, which was pretty funny. <laughs> the, what annoys me about this match is that in the feud, Nash and Hall are kind of the fun, you know, outsiders. They're kind of faces leading into that. The crowd loves them. The crowd goes crazy for Kevin Nash here. He's over as, you know, the cool Kevin Nash character. Mm-hmm. The match starts and you think, okay, it's a powerbomb match. Whoever hits the powerbomb wins. And then we get just another screw job, though. Another yep. ref bump. Um, yeah. It's, so um... There's a ref bump. Sid hits the powerbomb on Nash. The ref is still out. So Jeff Jarrett runs out with the guitar. So we're seeing Jeff Jarrett again. He hits Sid with hits the guitar. A massive guitar shot. Smashes he, him. He's, he sort of revives Nash as well. Yeah. Wakes up Nash and you see Nash like get bits of the guitar out of the ring still, which was good, you know, noticed by him to do that. He stands up. He can't powerbomb Sid because he's still hurt from taking the powerbomb. He mm-hmm. just wakes up the ref and says, yeah, yeah, I powerbombed him when you were out. And the ref is like, oh, yeah, I guess you did and rings the bell. And then rings the bell, yeah. How, how That's never been allowed before. Never after a ref bump can you just say, oh, yeah, I made him tap. And he's like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, you did. I'll ring the bell. So stupid. You can't change the rules to make it fit the ending you're going to do. Like, you can't change the set rules of wrestling to fit your creative ending. That doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Come up with a better ending than trying to have to like, you know, circumnavigate around it to make it work. <laughs> yeah. So one Nash funny is thing. A, a heel now. again, I guess. But is he? Because he's not. That's the thing. Isn't he? He's, he's, he's no, no, but he's that cool. Like, He's so good at what he at being Kevin Nash that you just can't boom. He's got that much equity that yes, they do like Sid, but it's not even that dastardly. It's kind of like you kind of have to almost side with him. Like that's pretty smart from you, Kevin Nash. Well hmm. done. But then again, and was then... Sid a heel as well? No, Sid was the face. He, was he? No, Sid's the face here. Isn't I he? thought Nash was the face because the crowd liked him. No, but Sid's the face because he feuded with Rick Steiner and he got, you know, Goldberg's respect at the last pay-per-view. You're right, he did. (laughs) I think. I'm not sure. (laughs) This is how confusing... That's the thing, though. When you talk about those shades of grey that Russo loves to book, Mm. you have no idea what's going on. Who do you root for? Who do you cheer for? It's like, oh, the guys are figuring out for themselves. Yeah. 
I will say this. It is nice to see um, Kevin Nash in his definitive Nash attire. Mm. Like that's, that's the Kevin Nash that I picture when I think Kevin Nash. Yeah. Um, so Mike Tanay is out with Chris Benoit and the open challenge is still underway. And he says, whoever's going to face him will be known what's, and will know what silent, what violent means. He's just trying every catchphrase now, isn't he? Oh yeah. Yeah. He, he used this one on the last show. What silent and violent is all a boot. Um, <laughs> he never really caught on, but I will say, so again, Benoit is out for the ladder match for the U S title. Who's his mystery opponent going to be? It's going to be a guy we've seen throughout the show. <laughs> it's Jeff Jarrett again. If you thought Jeff Jarrett was all over TNA, remember that used to be the oh, thing. Yeah. Oh, it's too much Jeff Jarrett, mate. Jeff Jarrett, there was just too much of him on this show. But I'll tell you what, he had his working boots on for this match. Like even mm. for me, I you know I thought the bunkhouse match was a bit bit screwy. This ladder match makes up for it. This is easily the best match on the show. The only match. I would say that you should watch. It's only 10 minutes, but Jesus Christ, Benoit and Jeff Jarrett, just go for it. They're like, fine, we've got 10 minutes. Let's try and have the best ladder match we can possibly have in 10 minutes. There's a very cool uh, ladder spot where Double J puts Benoit's leg in the ladder in kind of a tree of woe position and then drops Benoit. Um, mm. Benoit returns, sir, by putting Jarrett in the tree of woe in the ladder, but JJ topples the ladder over. The, the crowd is fully buying into this match. It's like they're watching Steamboat and Savage at WrestleMania 3. <laughs> that's, how, that's, where... how, that's how yeah. starved they are of good wrestling. <laughs> that they're looking at... <laughs> it's not the best ladder match. It wouldn't rank no. in anyone's top 20 even, even if no. the top 30 maybe. But at some points, they start literally polite applauding because they're like, thank you, you're doing something that looks yep. cool. Um Jeff Jarrett hits a baseball slide on the ladder into Benoit's face and absolutely shatters oh, his face. Open. Like he's bleeding everywhere. It's a cool visual. Um, Scott Hudson says, oh, Benoit's tough. He's cut himself worse shaving. I don't know what that <laughs> means. Does that mean he doesn't know how to shave? But either way, <laughs> it's kind of funny. It feels like a backhanded compliment. But these guys just destroy each other they're doing spot after spot a lot of things that hadn't really been done in ladder matches yet even taking into consideration the no mercy tag team one this is a really good 10 minute ladder match what um, was cool as well there's a bit where benoit is inches away from getting the belt but jeff jarrett double uh, he he drop kicks the ladder to oh. knock benoit down it's like it's it's like of course if he's trying to re- why would you try and climb up the ladder to stop him he push the ladder over yeah, yeah he just kicks the ladder and it looks awesome picture perfect from both of them mm. um great benoit does a diving headbutt off the oh. top of the ladder it looks crazy because he's up there and you're like oh is he gonna get the belt and the crowd's roaring and he looks down does the throat cut thing hits the headbutt picture perfect as usual climbs back up and wins crowd goes crazy my only nitpick again it's to do with the commentary and Mm -hmm. the weird thing that wcw commentary would do that other promotions wouldn't benoit gets knocked off the ropes oh sorry off the ladder and he takes you know the ladder match bump yeah and he bounces off the ropes with his neck and his chest and tony is like oh benoit knew it was gonna happen so he braced his pectoral muscles and absorbed the impact with his chest because it was inevitable and that lessens the blow. No, that's not what Shut happened. Up, Tony. He was yeah. pushed into the ropes and he went neck first into it and is hurt. Don't tell us he took a bump and protected himself. That's yeah. It's <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it's so weird that they would do that. And again, no, it's not like oh just cuz WWE does it that way. No wrestling promotion would ever just expose I don't know. It's such a yeah. I don't know. I've never understood why they would do it's stuff like that. It would. It's Russo, and I know it sounds like the 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 get out of jail free card. Oh, it's Russo always did this, but he did. That's the thing. He pandered so much to that hypersensitive crowd. But it's not even Russo because Shivani would do this a few years before as well. Yeah. He'd always be like, "Oh, that kick didn't really hit," but then that kick would get a pinfall, and you're like, "Okay, well, if it didn't hit, how would he beat him with it?" Don't expose, like, just go along yeah. with it, I yeah, think. Just go you along with it. Go along with it. Don't tell us it didn't have an impact. I don't know. Mm. Um, so next up, we get a recap of the main event. In hindsight, 
I reckon this is a pretty cool storyline that because it leads to the formation of the NWO uh, Silver or NWO 2000, which was pretty much snake bit out the gate. Mm. Um, Brett and Goldberg become tag champs, but they lose it to the outsiders when Brett is attacked. Um, Mike Tanay is with Bret Hart backstage. And I just reckon Bret Hart is trying to beat a personal record of saying Bill Goldberg in a promo. <laughs> Yeah, I just wrote Bill Goldberg in capital letters for this promo because <laughs> he says his full name and he says it with impact every time. Bill Goldberg. Yeah. <laughs> so Michael Buffer puts full salt and pepper on the ring, uh, on the ring and intro- introductions. Uh, this is the final main event of the new millennium, as everyone keeps saying. Uh, and he says, are you ready to rumble instead of let's get ready to rumble? And it's a pretty no, decent no. intro. He says, Does we he? are ready to rumble. Ah, there you go. Did so, they not uh, pay him? enough it's like i'm not giving you the full thing on the buffer package you don't get the full one if you don't pay enough yeah so um brett's out first and doug dillinger comes out with goldberg who does his usual shtick uh and it is nice of bobby the brain heenan to subtly sort of refer to bret hart as being a multiple world champion before this which i thought was pretty good yeah Um, i will say as a match i know this is infamous for the kick Bret Hart was trying. I think he was going to pull a good match out of... Like, this was another pretty decent Goldberg match because he's in there with someone athletic who can sort of work around it. I thought it was going okay. And I know everyone talks about the kick, but Bret has since come out and actually said, you know, watch the figure four on the corner. Goldberg didn't lower him. And you yep. do see Bret go for it, The you know, the famous Bret corner figure four, and he just drops and hits the back of his head. He's mm. actually rocked there before the kick too. Because actually Scott Hudson calls it out. He's like, oh, Brett couldn't hold it for long and he had to let go. He's like not executed excellently like Brett normally would. So, hey, don't don't blame Brett for that. But yeah, um, yeah, and, and at some point the crowd starts chanting Goldberg sucks. It, There's about 50 referees that oh, run in. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. The ending of this was an absolute mess. Do you want to try and explain it? So here's what happens. We the, the crowd has turned on Goldberg here. There is a huge Goldberg sucks chant because you could it, it's a it's an inoffensive match, but there's just too many ref bumps mm. um, because you know Brett either clotheslines Goldberg into someone or someone suplexes um, Brett into Charles Robinson or da 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 da. You know everyone just gets involved. But so there's some uh, the moment that ends Bret Hart's career is it's just so unfortunately perfectly perfectly set out to crap mm. because Brett does um Brett gets hit in the head with the standing sidekick and you could see that his bell is just absolutely rung here. Yeah. This is the one that has completely like knocked him out. He cops a spear from Goldberg. And there's the spear no referee. looks hard too, honestly. Mm. There's no referee. Goldberg's busted open. Roddy Piper then walks out in a referee shirt and because Goldberg's distracted Brett takes him down and puts him in a sharpshooter as Roddy Piper nonchalantly calls for the bell. Piper then takes the belt and walks to the back, but Bret Hart gives him chase to him. And Scott Scott Hudson sorry, says, is it Montreal all over again? As the crowd boos and the rest of the commentary team feign confusion over what's happened. And that's it. End of the show. Straight off air. All of this happens within like two minutes. The match in total only goes for 10 minutes or something. Ridiculous. Another Montreal screw job, another terrible Starcade ending, another bad Bret Hart main event situation in WCW. A sad end to his, you know, I guess run as a wrestler. Uh terrible. It's it's really it's really not there's nothing you could salvage with this. Starcade, it's the worst. It's the absolute worst. And it doesn't get better next year either. So Starcade just ends with such a whimper. Can I just say, so I found a quote from Eric Bischoff. I just wanted to see what people thought of this show. He said in 2020, I think on his podcast or in an interview, he said, Starcade 99 is the absolute worst pay-per-view from opening bell to closing bell that I've ever seen in my life. And you know what? I can pretty much agree with that. I've seen a yep. lot of pay-per-views. This was so hard to watch. I had to watch it in like five or six sittings. Everything is terrible. Nothing makes sense. And yeah, and and just in terms of how the business was doing for WCW, if we take the Starcades of WCW's, you know, like big run. So Mm. in 96, which we can kind of count, you know, it was sort of the start of that era. The crowd was 9,000 people. That's not bad. 
In yep. 97, they had 17,500 people at Starcade. In mm-hmm. 98, a crowd of 16,000, so still very good. This one, 99. And, and just for comparison's sake, it is in the same building that it was in for those three years. So remember, mm-hmm. 17,000, 16,000, 16. both in the MCI Center. This one was as well 8,000. Mm. Yeah, dropped <laughs> by half. Yeah. And and also going by TV-wise, Nitro, like Raw is literally doubling Nitro at this point in time. Mm. It was basically the, over. The fall off is rapid, absolutely rapid. But uh, hey, look, that wraps up 1999 in uh, for WCW. We've still got one more pay-per-view to go with Armageddon 99. And... Um, yeah, that one, that is an interesting one of note. I haven't rewatched it in such a long time. Neither though. have I. I have no idea what to expect. So uh, we look forward to that one. But oh, yeah, wait, 19- hold on. We haven't picked an MVP for this show. Is there really an MVP for this show? It's Jeff Jarrett by default oh, yeah. because he was in 10 segments and had the only good match on the show. Even if it, even if it wasn't for the ladder match, it was. it's Jeff Jarrett because out of weight of numbers. Yeah, yeah, he just, he willed it. So if anyway. you ever want to know of a guy that like, you know, you, you know how they just say like, you know, oh, even if you hate your job or da, 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 just turn up and do the best you can do. Jeff Jarrett sums that up to a Keep team. showing up. Just keep hustling. <laughs> You'll just work forever. Good on Jeff Jarrett. Well done to Jeff Jarrett. He's now consistent. Ken, Jeff Jarrett has wrestled more times in 2023 than Kenny Omega has. <laughs> That's an actual fact. It's right. amazing. But yeah, definitely. And you know what's funny? As, as we put a bow on this uh, episode of uh, Reliving the War, Jeff Jarrett to this day still claims that, oh, you know, me and Vince are good friends as in like Vince Russo. Come on, mate. Your career trajectory when Vince Russo got the book just be, skyrocketed. That's why they're good friends. And to be fair, though, he, he did hire Russo in TNA for so long as well. Mm. Mm. But uh, yeah, that wraps up another edition of Reliving the War. If for some reason you'd like to relive 1999 WCW, head to greywolfentertainment.net and check out the archives. Follow us on the socials. Greywolfent is where to find us. But for Simon Tackler, I've been Nim Sazor, and we'll catch you next time for Reliving the War. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.